it's entirely premature to be discussing about legislative solutions, if any. Not anymore. We get to discuss them, apparently. NRA says, it's okay. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From in Pacifica the Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso and Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. However you found us, I'm glad you did. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Uh, thank you, as I say, for joining us and uh, and joining Desi Doyen, who is yes, with us as well. I am here, as usual. Thank you for joining us, <laughs> even though Desi Doyen is with us today. Yeah. Uh, let's see, uh, some breaking news uh, before we get to um, some real business here today. Uh, Congressman Tim Murphy, the man who we had discussed earlier this week. Re- remember that? With, uh, with Art Levine, we're talking about the Republicans' mental health solutions for gun violence. Oh, yes. Uh, We brought up Tim Murphy. He is the man uh, who authored last year's mental health reform bill that was passed by Congress, supposedly in response to various mass shootings, even though Republicans are still calling for mental health reform as their top solution, really their only solution to gun violence. Even as they try to cut health care funding for most people. That's right. So they don't even really mean that much, do they? Uh, Tim Murphy, Republican from Pennsylvania, has announced he is resigning. The uh, Murphy is the only clinical psychologist in uh, in Congress or psychiatrist, I guess, in Congress. Uh, supposedly he's a very religious. He's a very moral right to lifer. Well, he has been exposed to as having an affair this week, uh, but the story gets worse than that. And uh, after he had had announced just a few days ago that he was not going to run for re-election next year, uh, he has just announced that, in fact, he will resign entirely because apparently it is much worse than just an affair. AP reports late today that Tim Murphy will resign from the U.S. later this uh, U.S. House later this month following a report this week on leaked text messages suggesting that he urged a woman with whom he was having an affair to have an abortion. 
Murphy had originally announced he would uh, not seek re-election, but that all changed. He will now resign from the House effective October 21. Speaker Paul Ryan confirmed that he received the letter of resignation from Murphy on Thursday and said in a statement, quote, we thank him for his many years of tireless work on mental health issues here in Congress and his service to the country as a Naval Reserve officer. Murphy uh, did not show up to any House votes today to uh, adopt a budget for 2018, which uh, the U.S. House was able to ram through and uh, paved the way for tax cuts for the administration. However, Murphy did cast a vote on Tuesday on legislation to ban abortions after 20 weeks, shortly after the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette story about his leaked uh, text messages was posted, but maybe he hadn't known about that at the time that he voted here. Uh, he's a member of the House Pro-Life Caucus. He's received support from the Family Research Council, the right-wing Family Research Council. He was endorsed by the Pro-Life Political Action Committee Life Pack, and I should add, happily accepted those endorsements and support from those anti-choice groups while voting to present, prevent others from exercising that right, even while urging his own secret girlfriend to get an abortion. Uh, even Speaker Paul Ryan this week had cited Murphy's bill on mental health that was passed last year when he was asked about Republicans and how they would respond to the mass shooting in Las Vegas on Sunday. Murphy's southwestern Pennsylvania district near Pittsburgh is considered a GOP stronghold that is unlikely to flip to Democrats in a special election to replace him, according to AP anyway. We'll see if the voters feel, feel differently about that. Trump is said to have won that district by 20 points in 2016. However, we have seen 20-point moves from Republicans to Democrats in a number of these special elections uh, so far this year. Uh, then again, it's Pennsylvania. So who knows? Uh, they use a lot of 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting machines. Nobody was allowed to actually hand count what paper ballots they do have in Pennsylvania after the 2016 presidential election, despite the recount that was called for by Green Party candidate Jill Stein. So we will see what adventure lies ahead. So there is some, at least some accountability there, at least for hypocrisy, at least for dirty laundry, if you will. But um, what of actual corruption within the presidential administration itself? We finally had one resignation late last week of Health and Human Services Secretary uh, Tom Price for spending nearly a million dollars on private military chartered plane travel. But would Tom Price have been fired had he uh, had he successfully oversaw the killing of the Affordable Care Act that he had been working for? I don't know. Price, in truth, really is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to corruption inside the top levels of the Trump cabinet. We'll be joined momentarily by Brendan Fisher of the Campaign Legal Center. Uh, an outside good government group uh, who, who tries to demand accountability whenever and however possible. We'll be joined by Brendan to discuss just some of the incoming tidal wave of news about Team Trump corruption. Much of it lost to the various disasters and catastrophes like Puerto Rico and Las Vegas and whatever crises Donald Trump is ginning up each day. Um 
it uh, some of it seems like uh, small potatoes these days, but uh, in a normal administration. These are some pretty uh, big issues. So we'll talk about that with Brendan in a moment. And speaking of Puerto Rico, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report was is also coming up a little bit later. Yes, it is. We'll have uh, uh, a little bit uh, on the latest in, in that crisis down in Puerto Rico. And the remarkable amount of money that both climate change and fossil fuels are costing the U.S. Just a note to those fiscal res- uh, conservatives out there. So-called, you mean, are you suggesting they might be hypocritical? I would never do that. Uh, Also, we do have uh, some good news out of Scotland. There is. So there's that to look forward to. (laughs) So hang Uh, on, it's coming. But before all of that, uh, speaking of Las Vegas, in the wake of the massacre that took 58 lives on Sunday and injured more than 500 others as a gunman opened what was automatic weapons fire. It was a semi-automatic weapon that he had modified weapons more than 20 of them that he had modified to become automatic weapons. Uh, He opened fire on thousands of concert goers, 32 stories below his hotel room on the uh, streets of the Las Vegas Strip. You'll recall on Tuesday that Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was asked about legislative policy changes in the wake of that bloodbath. And Mitch McConnell had this to say. I think it's particularly inappropriate to politicize an event like this. It just happened within the last day and a half. It's entirely premature to be discussing about legislative solutions, if any. Ah, well, okay. Good news, if any. Uh, Good news. It apparently is time to go ahead and politicize the matter by discussing policy issues, legislation that the Congress could carry out. And on that front, we have some uh, we have some good news. Apparently, it is time to politicize because the NRA today apparently gave Republicans permission to do so. The National Rifle Association announced its support on Thursday for regulating so-called bump stocks. These are devices that uh, convert semi-automatic rifles into pretty much fully automated weapons and that were apparently used in the Las Vegas massacre to very lethal effect. It was a surprising shift for the uh, leading gun industry group, says the AP. Recently, uh, in recent years, they have resolutely opposed any gun regulations. Immediately after the NRA gave the thumbs up, the White House, too, said that they were open to such change. Well, as long as you get your permission slip from the NRA, That's what they did. nobody elected, your elected officials will consider it. The NRA announcement follows comments from leading congressional Republicans, including House Speaker Paul Ryan, that Congress should take a look at the devices, which were uh, little known uh, prior to Sunday's bloodbath, as AP describes it. The National Rifle Association Uh, said in a statement they are calling on the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives to immediately review whether these devices comply with federal law, the NRA said in that statement. The NRA believes that devices designed to allow semi-automatic rifles to function like fully automatic rifles should be subject to additional regulations. Now, of course, that means that if the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives does decide to look at whether these should be regulated, then, well, we would have to pass no gun legislation still at all, would we?
Because it'll just be a regulation be by promulgated by an agency, not by lawmakers in Congress, who then are still clean on their record. I White guess. House. Uh, well, we. That's right. Uh, so we'll see if an actual bill ever gets voted on, and we'll see what, if anything, gets added to it. Uh, when this originally came up, was it? Uh, yeah, last night, uh, the Hill had reported that. Um, House Republican leaders had been planning previously to advance a gun rights bill, uh, a, an act that would loosen restrictions on silencers and armor piercing, amu- armor piercing ammunition. That has now been put off, at least for the moment, by Paul Ryan. So we'll see if any actual legislation moves forward here. But White House spokeswoman Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, said in response after the uh, after the NRA's statement that we welcome that and a conversation on that. It's something we're very open to. It's something we want to be a part of the conversation on going forward. Well, I guess it's time to have that conversation because Sarah Huckabee Sanders was insisting previously that it was premature. It was just the wrong time to be talking about any of this. But now we're all good. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein is uh, she's the ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee. She has been spearheading legislation to ban these uh, these so-called bump stocks. Of course, she is the one who helped pass the 1994 assault weapons ban, which expired in 2004 and under George W. Bush uh, was not replaced. At that point, uh, the NRA would not let any of this move forward. Uh, on uh, Thursday night, I should say Wednesday night, as the uh, proposal was was beginning to gain some support concerning bump stocks, uh, was beginning to gain some support among a few Republicans. The Hill reported that the proposal appears to have as much early momentum as the bill to expand background checks that came to the Senate floor in the wake of the 2012 Sandy Hook school shooting in Connecticut. Uh, However, that measure was not allowed to move uh, anywhere past that point. It's, it failed uh, a vote by 54 to 46. Now, when I say it failed a vote, it actually won. It won 54 to 46 in the U.S. Senate to uh, close the background check loopholes. But because of the Senate filibuster, six more votes were needed uh, to move on to debate on the issue and an actual vote. So even though it had a clear majority of the Senate in favor of action back then, Republicans would not allow it to even come up for debate on the Senate floor. That has happened over and over again with similar gun safety legislation of any type. The voters, the American voters, are simply not represented, even in the U.S. Senate, When it comes to legislation like this, thanks to the terrorist, yes, terrorist enabling NRA, National Rifle Association, uh, which has now at least finally allowed some measure of gun safety reform to move forward. To be discussed. To be discussed, to be reviewed. Um, But of course, uh, no real measures that might finally curb the gun death epidemic and public health crisis in this country. Uh, By way of reminder here, the number of Americans killed on battlefields in all wars in all of U.S. history is a bit less than 1.4 million. 
The number of Americans killed by firearms in the U.S. just since 1968, a bit more than 1.5 million. Guns in the U.S. are far more deadly, apparently, than wars that we have entered in since the beginning of the founding of our country. Anyway, we know that the NRA owns the Republican Party. Unfortunately, we don't know who owns much of the Trump administration itself because uh, he won't file his own tax returns. He won't disclose them publicly, despite saying that he would. He lied about that. And many of his own top advisors have apparently taken the hint they won't tell the truth about their own conflicts of interest, apparently on public disclosure forms. But that is just the tip of the corruption iceberg from this administration. Brendan Fisher from the Campaign Legal Center joins us next. I'm Brad. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. You don't really need to find out what's going on. You don't really want to know just how far it's gone. You don't. Oh, lots of dirty laundry. Lots of dirty laundry that is not getting uh, much attention given all of the other disasters and catastrophes we are facing. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Roy Moore, the controversial Republican nominee for U.S. Senate. Now in this uh, special election coming up in December in Alabama, and uh, he is now fully endorsed by the Trump White House. Roy Moore neglected to disclose as much as one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in income to federal officials, to according to a Daily Beast report uh, and a review of public records in filings with the Alabama Ethics Commission. Moore, the former chief justice of the state Supreme Court there, listed between fifty dollars and $150,000 in honoraria received last year for various speaking engagements. But in a filing with the Senate, U.S. Senate Ethics Committee, two months later, he explicitly denied having received any payments last year for, quote, an article, a speech, or an appearance. Moore's Senate disclosure filing uh, also stated that neither he nor his wife had any outstanding liabilities last year of more than $10,000, but in his Alabama filing, Moore listed between $150,000 and $250,000 in liabilities owed to a credit union or savings and loan or a credit card issued by one of them back in 2016. Meanwhile, McClatchy uh, News Service reports that Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, senior advisors to Donald Trump, were both fined $200 for missing deadlines to submit financial reports required by government ethics rules, according to documents and interviews. It's the second time that Kushner has been fined for late filing as part of his months-long process of divesting pieces, uh, supposedly, of his vast business empire. To, uh, to serve in the White House. 
Uh, apparently, uh, McClatchy reports, it's highly unusual for anyone to be late like this, much less twice. In addition, Kushner and Trump, the president's daughter and her husband, who serve as unpaid aides, listed vastly different values for some of their joint assets with some discrepancies of hundreds of thousands of dollars or more. It's as if they're just making it up as they go along. Washington Post uh, notes that uh, Politico reported late last week that uh, President Trump's son-in-law and top advisor Kushner had used private email to conduct official White House business. Since then, the New York Times has revealed that the use of private email was not limited only to Kushner. It also involved as many as six of Trump's uh, top advisors, uh, including former chief strategist Steve, Steve Bannon, who's now gone, former White House chief of staff Reince Priebus, he's now gone. Neither of them were fired because of uh, these private email accounts, which have led uh, to some obvious comparisons to one of the biggest stories from the 2016 election, the investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. That's just some of the corruption by this administration that seems to get a bit lost amid all of the disasters and catastrophes and crises that the U.S. has been facing in recent weeks, both natural and man-made, often by uh, Donald Trump himself. Scott Pruitt, the EPA administrator, was recently found to have spent more than $58,000 of taxpayer money on just four plane trips using government and private planes to attend events throughout the U.S. That according to uh, Thursday's report from uh, CBS News and The Washington Post. The EPA's chief's, uh, chief's spending on other items while calling for drastic cuts across the agency has invited scrutiny although not nearly as much as is warranted. The EPA chief has also assembled an 18-member, 24-7 security detail, pulling agents from the uh, agency's criminal investigations unit to protect him. And he is said to be building a private soundproof booth in his office for some reason which will cost nearly $25,000. Add to that Ryan Zinke, the Interior Secretary, and Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. they both now been accused by media anyway of improperly funded government travel to varying extents. And, of course, all of that doesn't even include the nearly $1 million in taxpayer funds that so-called fiscal conservative Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price spent on his own travel on private military jets, even while trying to cut health care to millions of Americans before he was eventually, finally forced to resign late last week. So what's going on here? And is anybody other than the media and the outside uh, good government groups actually policing this administration in terms of just simple corruption? which would otherwise have led to almost all of those officials resigning under a normal presidential administration. Yes, the DOJ's special counsel is looking into uh, Team Trump's campaign activities. But what about these uh, all of these affairs, which frankly would have led to the resignation of, uh, of pretty much all of these officials under a normal presidency? Here to help us dig through Donald Trump's cabinet of corruption is Brendan Fisher from one of those outside good government groups trying to bring oversight to an administration whose incredible corruption Congress seems to otherwise 
pretty much be completely ignoring here. Brendan is associate counsel at the Campaign Legal Center in Washington, D.C., where he directs CLC's work before federal regulatory agencies such as the Federal Election Commission. Oh, I remember them. He advocates vigorous and fair enforcement of campaign finance and ethics laws and uh, holding candidates and political committees accountable for violating those laws. Brendan Fisher, sir, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Uh, quite a litany there. I've uh, run through already, and I want to ask you about some of those specifics. But uh, we we spent uh, a great deal of time on yesterday's broadcast with David Daly, author of a book whose name I can't say on radio, but it's about the nationwide uh, gerrymandering scheme pulled off by Republicans in 2010. And we discussed the Gill v. Whitford case that was heard this week at the U.S. Supreme Court, which uh, which has already found racial gerrymandering to be unconstitutional, but might now find purely partisan gerrymandering of state and federal districts to be unconstitutional as well. Daly said that that case, this case, being heard now, uh, being decided by the Supreme Court, could be more important than Citizens United, which gutted campaign finance reform, Shelby County, which gutted voting rights, the Voting Rights Act. But since this is also an area of yours, and you are originally from Wisconsin, where this case originally comes from, uh, I wanted to get your quick thoughts on uh, Gil v. Whitford and just how important this case is or isn't to American democracy as uh, as you see it. Yeah, it's an incredibly important case. And uh, not only am I from Wisconsin, but just entirely uh, coincidentally, one of the plaintiffs was my elementary school principal, and the named plaintiff, uh, Bill Whitford, was my contact contract professor in law school. Really? Uh, so, yeah, degree of a personal connection there. And then yeah. also, uh, this was a... By the time it got up to the Supreme Court, this was a campaign legal center case. My my colleague mm-hmm. Paul Smith argued the case before the court. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's it's an incredibly important case. Uh, up until this point, there really has courts have not intervened when you have a partisan gerrymander, mm-hmm. when you have uh, the maps drawn so egregiously to favor one party or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the courts have intervened when there have been racial gerrymanders. And in part, the reason that courts have been hesitant to intervene in partisan gerrymander is because they haven't been able to find a judicially manageable standard. Mm. Uh, they haven't been able to find a objective standard where the court could decide how much gerrymandering is too much. Because there's, it's inevitable that when you have partisan elected officials drawing maps, mm-hmm. that there's going to be a degree of partisanship. And you don't necessarily want courts intervening every time legislators decide to draw maps, or at least that's the way the Supreme Court has approached it. Uh, but the Wisconsin case was particularly egregious, uh, yeah. and in part that was a result of the Republican takeover of the Wisconsin legislature in 2010 with backing from the Kochs and the Diane Hendrickses and the Dick Ulines of the world and Scott Walker uh, attacking Wisconsin values and norms institutions with um, complete disregard for campaign finance laws, efforts to push through voter ID and voter restrictions, uh, and then also uh, a closed-door effort to draw maps to favor the Republican Party. Um, and certainly partisan gerrymandering has long been a part of U.S. U.S. history, but what's really made it more problematic in the last few years is uh, computers yep. <laughs> um, and the sophisticated mapping systems that uh, allow 
allow map drawers to uh, to redraw the the maps to egregiously favor one party over the other. Yeah, like down to twenty. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I think I mean the the example of this is in 2012 in Wisconsin, Republicans won 48.6 percent of the statewide vote, and they got 60 out of 99 seats in the Wisconsin State Assembly. Yeah. Uh, so it's entirely out of whack. Uh, and that's not the only one. Out- I I, I want to uh, note here because it's not just Wisconsin. That's why this case I think is so important. Uh, Daly, uh, David Daly had mentioned Ohio, which is otherwise a very swing state. Uh, it's represented in the U.S. House, however, by 12 Republicans and four Democrats. Michigan is also a, a supposedly a swing state, and yet uh, there it's nine to five Republicans to Democrats in the U.S. House. And he notes that uh, every time uh, over the past uh, decade, uh, for you know, for each of these congressional elections, Democrats have won more votes, and yet. Uh, the Republicans continue to have the majority in uh, in the state of Michigan when it comes to the U.S. House. Yeah, it, it's absolutely a problem. Uh, and even though in Wisconsin it was Republicans drawing the map to disfavor Democrats, uh, in other states it's the opposite: mm-hmm. Democrats drawing the maps to disfavor Republicans. And that's what's so important about this about this case. Uh, what's at What's at issue here is a what we believe is a judicially manageable standard to determine how much of a, when a gerrymander is a unconstitutional partisan gerrymander. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we think that this case could set the standard for uh, gerrymanders across the country uh, and which could potentially put an end to partisan gerrymandering uh, for, for all time. One more point on this that I didn't get to ask David about yesterday. Is there a way... Uh, I mean, uh, Paul Smith at the uh, at the Supreme Court argued that uh, we now have uh, ways and, and computers of our own that we can use to determine if these computer drawn maps are, uh, in effect, gerrymanders. Um, but is there a I didn't get to ask David, is there a, a, a legitimate way? How should these districts be drawn? Uh, you know, even when you have Democrats uh, controlling states, is there a. Is there a way to do this that is actually fair to everyone? Yeah, well, I think one model in terms of the in terms of the agency or the structure used to draw these maps is a nonpartisan uh, nonpartisan commission uh, re- or a nonpartisan redistricting commission made up of nonpartisan officials or made up of uh, officials from both parties and draw the maps using objective standards and, and those can be computer assisted uh, because we do have. The technology to we, we have the technology to draw uh, maps that favor one party over the other, and we also have the technology to draw maps that are that are fair and ensure that that people's voices are represented in, mm-hmm. in the legislature and in Congress. All right, I uh, let's get into to just basically, frankly, some of this dirty laundry uh, from uh, some of these officials in the Trump administration, and now. From uh, let's start with Roy Moore. Actually, he's outside the administration, but I I think you know as they say a fish rots from the head down, uh, and the corruption that seems to being uh, allowed here by uh, Team Trump in the administration seems to be filtering down now to the rest of the party. Roy Moore, the far right religious extremist, he was twice removed from his uh, from his seat as a justice on the Alabama Supreme Court for violations of the Constitution and federal court orders. 
I want to start there because he's yet to even be elected and he seems wildly and very obviously corrupt. And yet Team Trump is fully on board with him. He failed to report hundreds of thousands of dollars on his disclosures, uh, disclosure forms to the U.S. Senate already. And he's not even there uh, yet. Uh, he still has to face election in a special election in December. Uh, how unusual is that? Has he corrected his forms at this point? Or is this, uh, is, something, is this something new that we haven't seen? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, first of all, uh, you started out, the, started out this segment with a long description of all of the ethical violations and all the disregard for ethics norms uh, by the Trump administration and mm-hmm. by, by candidate Moore. And everything you outlined came out just about over the past week. Right. And every right. week since January 20th has been, has been pretty similar. Yeah. Uh, it's really like drinking from a fire hose when it comes to trying to track some of these, some of these ethics violations. Uh, and, and this comes from the top. This comes from uh, President Trump uh, entirely disregarding the ethics laws, mm-hmm. rules, and, and norms uh, that past presidents have followed voluntarily. Uh, and and the this disregard, entire disregard for the laws that are on the books guarantee that that are that are designed to guarantee that public officials are working for the public rather than for private interests uh, has has permeated the the entire administration and is now trickling its way down to uh, to down ballot races like this like this Senate race Senate race in in Alabama. Um, so Roy Moore is yeah he's the latest example of. Uh, of an official disregarding uh, the the basic ethical requirements of public office, and and here, like you like you described, he uh, and and really this it, it can't be emphasized enough how egregious this violation was and how entirely unnecessary. Uh, in April of, of this year, he filed a report with the Alabama Ethics Board. He disclosed that he had received uh, up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars in speaking fees throughout throughout the entirety of 2016 uh, a few months later uh, actually just two months later Roy Roy Moore filed a very similar form with the US Senate Ethics Committee and for some entirely unknown reason neglect, neglected to include the $150,000 in speaking fees that he had disclosed just months earlier right so it was a it was a entirely unnecessary violation of the of the rules uh, I can't imagine that he wouldn't think that he would be caught, uh, but it it just goes to show that the that officials are increasingly disregarding the the basic ethical requirements of of public office. Trickle down corruption. Uh, that <laughs> seems to be what it is. This guy was the uh, chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, so surely he understands the necessity of filling out uh, legally required paperwork correctly. So, but he's obviously he's he's not the only one. This is trickling down. We now have uh, news about uh, Jivanka, uh, Jared Kushner, and uh, Ivanka Trump, uh, both apparently knowingly submitting false forms 
to Congress, or uh, at least that is if they if they did so knowingly uh, to either Congress or the IRS, that's a violation of the law. But McClatchy is reporting that Kushner has made changes to his financial disclosures. Never mind being late; he's made changes to these disclosure forms some thirty nine times. Uh, Ivanka did so four times, and their numbers don't even match each other when they're talking about the same joint assets that they own is it is it actually still illegal to uh to to lie to congress and the irs on these forms <laughs> it is and these these forms are actually filed with with oge the office of government ethics but it is it is illegal uh as is the case with any federal form uh you're you're when you file a form with a federal agency uh, under penalty of perjury, you're mm-hmm. violating the law. It's an 18 U.S.C. 1001 violation if you knowingly provide information that is that is false. Uh, I mean that in this case, it's difficult. It's difficult to imagine that the Justice Department would pursue either uh, Ivanka or Jared for for misfiling. But but again, I mean this is another indication of the apparent disregard. That uh, that many of the administration are showing for for these basic ethics ethics laws and ethics rules, uh, and, and and again, this is also it's 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 unexcusable. Uh, there's it's difficult to imagine a legitimate explanation for why uh, Jared Kushner would have to file changes to his financial disclosure form thirty nine times. Thirty nine times. He's he's a wealthy individual. Uh, I understand that he has. Uh, far-flung business interests. Uh, I could see omitting omitting one or two items, uh, one or two times, but 39 times is really is really pretty astonishing. And then for both he and Ivanka to have shared assets and to be under an obligation to file shared assets, and then not even to to coordinate to make sure that you're at least at least claiming that your assets are worth the same thing. Uh, to have these wildly different estimates of the value of your of your shared assets is is just is just mind-boggling. It's uh, mind-boggling, and of course, it makes you wonder if they're hiding something, or if they are just terrible at this, or if they just have terrible lawyers. Uh, to both. help him out, or both. But uh, yeah, but staying on Kushner here for a second, we know now that uh, some six top. Uh, Trump administration officials, uh, including Kushner and Ivanka and Steve Bannon and Scott Pruitt, by the way, at the EPA, that they all have private private email addresses that they have uh, reportedly used at various times uh, for official business. In the cases of, uh, I think, both Kushner and Pruitt, they each explicitly told Senate investigators that they did not have other accounts. So first... I'm not crazy, right? This is the exact same thing that they called for locking Hillary Clinton up for uh, uh, last year. And uh, so, A, do you agree that's pretty much the same thing they're doing here? And B, is there any accountability for the fact that they seem to have just blatantly lied to Congress? I mean, who takes action when Congress is lied to? Can Congress ask the DOJ to... Uh, bring charges to investigate, or is this just, hey, you know what, one of these things that happens in the Trump era. We, we're we hypocrites. We we lie a lot. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that does that does increasingly seem to be the case, uh, that that you have 
multiple members of the administration saying one thing and then and then doing the other, uh, including including the president himself. Uh, we still haven't seen those tax returns, uh, <laughs> and right. Uh, and um, we, uh, yeah, I think the, the this is this is a this is a this is a real issue. Um, it's a real issue that that Trump was elected to office on. Uh, that he was going to that he was he, he ran against Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. uh, by attacking her for use of use of private email, and now it's become regular practice in his administration for top level officials to to use private email and possibly communicate uh, confidential matters over unsecured private email systems, which is exactly what Trump and his supporters attacked Hillary Clinton for, um, and. I mean the 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 lying is a is a is a problem. It's a, it's hard to imagine. You know, again, like the failure to accurate, accurately report your finances on official government forms, uh, the failure to acknowledge the use of private email uh, for official government business is 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 not excusable. Um, and it's not, and it's hard to. It's hard to imagine that these were just simply innocent mistakes. And we haven't gone into a lot of these uh, issues on this show because there's been so many, you know, big, uh, huge crisis uh, crises that have been, uh, you know, that have been happening under this administration, uh, forced or otherwise. Um, but I, I, so I kind of feel like, you know, slumming when uh, covering some of this stuff. Oh, this is pretty, you know, low rent corruption stuff. But all of these things we're going through wouldn't they in in a normal administration otherwise lead to either firings or uh, or or resignations in most of these cases so far we really only have uh one and that was Tom Price last Friday who spent uh you know nearly a million dollars in chartered uh, uh private and military planes although i have a hard time believing that had he succeeded in killing obamacare uh, which seems to have been his main job, that he would have even been fired uh, himself for that. Uh, am I am I being too cynical here? Because we got all of these other people who have had similar uh, travel issues. They all seem to be fine. Zinke, Mnuchin, Pruitt, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think we're going to continue to see more evidence of cabinet officials using private jets and using military jets at, at taxpayer expense for entirely unnecessary unnecessary travel. Uh, and and you're absolutely right. This th- this is a scandal, and it would have been an even bigger scandal in another administration. And it's going to be difficult for Trump to distinguish between the reasons he gave for firing Trump and the reasons he would Price, give for or... for not firing somebody like Ryan Zinke mm-hmm. or or Pruitt uh, for engaging the in the exact same in the exact same conduct. All right, now uh, trying to fly through all of these. We've got just a minute or two here left. Uh, Brendan Fisher, no... uh we learned today from Politico, I think it was, that the Secret Service kept no visitor logs for all of those folks shuffling in and out of Mar-a-Lago to meet the president during all of Trump's weekend visits there over the past eight months. A... Is it credible that there are no visitor logs, uh, that they don't actually exist, as the Secret Service seems to indicate? If so, B, what the hell? And C, uh, why are those logs important to uh, to make uh, available to the public uh, if they even exist? Yeah, I, I find it incredibly hard to believe that the Secret Service would, would not know who is coming into and going out of uh, the, the club where the president 
regular the, the club that the president regularly visits. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there has to be some sort of documentation on the part of the Secret Service, uh, just for the, pre- the the security of the president and his and his family. Um, but even setting those those concerns aside, the reason the reason we want those logs, the reason that the public needs to know uh, who's going in, who who's meeting with the president in uh, at Mar-a-Lago or at at some of his other clubs, is so we can know who's who's buying influence and who's buying access to the president. Uh, Mar-a-Lago doubled its membership fees after Trump was elected. Uh, there's significant overlap between Trump donors and the uh, individuals who are paying $200,000 a year mm-hmm. to join the president's club and have access to him. Um, and, and that's also the case with uh, the, tr- the Trump Hotel in D.C. Uh, it's become common practice for lobbying groups to hold events at the Trump Hotel, because of course, you know, where else, where else would you hold it? Hold an event in D.C. It's not like there's other hotels here. Right. Uh, clearly, clearly, the reason that so much money is being spent by lobbying groups, including foreign lobbying groups, at Trump properties is because they want to buy access and influence uh, with the president, and that speaks to the reason why, that, and that speaks to why it's such a problem that President Trump continues to hold a financial stake in his. Uh, organization. There is uh, obviously, uh, and, and by the way, uh, Neil Gorsuch, the uh, stolen Supreme Court uh, seat uh, justice uh, there, was also speaking at the Trump Hotel a week or two ago. Everybody seems to be fine with that. Now, there's obviously, uh, not the public, but you know the Republicans in Congress, certainly. Uh, there's obviously a, a, a big team at the DOJ special counsel's office looking into, as I mentioned, uh, and perhaps eventually bringing indictments in regard to the campaign of Team Trump. We will see what what happens there. But when it comes to the much less sexy business of sort of old-fashioned corruption scandals like these, Brendan, that would have led to firings or resignations in other administrations, who, if anyone, is bringing any of that accountability right now? Is this all left up to the the media and outside groups like yours at the Campaign Legal Center? Or do you have uh, any inkling that uh, Congress actually gives a damn about all of these things that they'd be holding endless hearings on had this been Hillary Clinton's administration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, certainly the events of the last few months have shown the gaps in uh, in the laws, at least of the laws that they apply to the president. And uh, I think a, a recognition that the ethical, this, the mostly ethical conduct we've seen from past administrations has been the result of norms and the, the result of adherence to ethical norms um, and I think the many are realizing that those norms need to become need to become black letter law that are that are enforceable. Um, there there is some you know there is some movement in some in some quarters. I mean certainly there is the special prosecutor uh, whose investigation is ongoing, and there's mm-hmm. congressional investigations as well. Uh, the inspector generals for these agencies have open in, open investigations into Pruitt's uh, use of private jets. Um, also looking into Interior Secretary Zinke's uh travel travel patterns um and i'm hoping that congress is going to uh grow more concerned about this because if it were any other administration they they certainly would be um but it it remains to be seen i think the key here is that uh the trump administration has definitely shown the the gaps in our ethics laws and those certainly need to be strengthened see you sound you found something positive there we have all learned 
how bad these laws are, and now we uh, we know what we have to fix if uh, the uh, Congress ever changes hands, which brings us back to the voting and the gerrymandering and why it's so important for people to vote like hell next year, one way or another, uh, to overcome uh, all of these uh, partisan disadvantages that have been put in place and are tracked with uh, great regularity uh, by the Campaign Legal Center. Brendan Fisher is the associate counsel there, and uh, you can find their work at campaignlegalcenter.org, and you can find Brendan online on the Twitters at Brendan underscore Fisher. We're going to be calling on you a lot in the days ahead, Brendan, uh, so thank you for answering that call whenever you can, my friend. All right, great. Well, thank you for having me. You bet. Okay, coming up, the never-corrupt Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Yep. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, uh, before the break, I called you the never corrupt Desi Doyen. <laughs> well, I try not I, to be. <laughs> I, should, I should add that we know of. <laughs> How come? How come the Green News Report never has a sponsorship from uh, Exxon Mobil? I'd like to think it's because they don't love us. Uh, they, they don't. <laughs> we, we would take it, right? We're fair. We're fair to everyone. Sure. We just also tell the truth and, and punch a lot them of in the face when they deserve it. When they deserve it, but which they do, which is fair. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, let's well, let's. Yeah, let's get to it. Our latest green news report. If you look at a real catastrophe like Katrina. Trump downplays the disaster in Puerto Rico. U.S. taxpayers give the fossil fuel industry 20 billion a year in subsidies. Scotland bans fracking. Plus, let's be blunt. This is your tax dollars at work. Hidden costs of climate change costing U.S. hundreds of billions a year, and it's getting worse. All of that fantastic news and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. As our EPA chief keeps telling desperate coastal mayors, this is not the appropriate time to talk about climate change. The appropriate time will be when we're all on a space station trying to figure out how to turn our poop into protein bars. Getting close. This is your Green News Report. Okay. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, even though Donald Trump seemed to be downplaying the disaster in Puerto Rico, the death toll is quickly moving up. Yes, it is. The governor of Puerto Rico on Tuesday raised the official death toll from Hurricane Maria to 34. That's likely to rise as federal disaster relief slowly begins to reach remote areas of the island that have been cut off since the storm hit two weeks ago. FEMA officials report that 7% of Puerto Rico now has electricity with hopes to restore power to a quarter of the island by the end of October. And yet Donald Trump, when he went down to Puerto Rico this past Last week for a couple of hours told the people there, oh, they don't need flashlights anymore. Yeah, it was bizarre. In remarks during his short visit to Puerto Rico on Tuesday, President Trump suggested Puerto Ricans should be doing more to help the federal government amid the devastation caused by Hurricane Maria, and he downplayed its magnitude. If you look at a real catastrophe like Katrina, and you look at the tremendous hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that died. And you look at what happened here with really a storm that was just totally overpowering. 16 people versus in the thousands. Uh, You can be very proud of all of your people, all of our people working together. And then he chided the three and a half million American citizens in Puerto Rico for the cost of the disaster. I hate to tell you, Puerto Rico, but you've thrown our budget a little out of whack because we've spent a lot of money on Puerto Rico. But two weeks after Hurricane Maria, FEMA still has not yet authorized full disaster aid for the island. After Hurricane Harvey, FEMA granted full disaster funding for Texas within 10 days. Well, I think we know what the difference is between Texas and Puerto Rico, don't we? And now a new study warns the cost of these disasters is going to get much worse. Of course it is. According to a new report by the Universal Ecological Fund, over the last 10 years, extreme weather disasters plus the health impacts of air pollution from burning fossil fuels have already cost the United States $240 billion a year. A year? Yes. Now 2017 has already topped that. Economically, losses from the three major hurricanes plus 76 wildfires in western states are estimated at 300 billion. The researchers project that future climate shocks could cost the U.S. nearly a billion dollars a day in coming years. Wow, you'd think Republicans who claim to be fiscal conservatives would care about that thing if there were any actual Republicans who actually are fiscal conservatives. Craig Fugate, FEMA director during the Obama administration, in a conference this week, warned that the economic losses caused by three major back-to-back hurricanes in just a few weeks should be a wake-up call. And not only is climate disruption driving the cost of disasters, but we have been pricing risk in this nation so low that we're not changing behavior and we're encouraging growth and high-risk areas and putting both vulnerable populations and your tax dollars at risk. Meanwhile, U.S. taxpayers are already spending $20 billion a year to subsidize the fossil fuel industry. That's through a mix of tax breaks, loopholes, and infrastructure support, according to a new report by Oil Change International. Plus, a new analysis in Nature Energy concludes that 
Without that $20 billion in annual taxpayer subsidies, half of current U.S. oil production would be too costly to drill at current oil prices. And that taxpayer subsidies help pad oil companies' profit margins and induces them to drill even more. And yet whenever any kind of subsidies are given to renewable energy companies, Republicans say we shouldn't be picking winners and losers. Finally, Scotland has banned the controversial drilling technique of fracking. They say because it threatens their drinking water supplies and impacts Scotland's targets to cut carbon emissions. Smart people in Scotland, I am moving. For all of those stories and more that we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. You can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. And find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Mama, if that's moving up, then I'm moving out. Oh, I am so moving out. <laughs> I am moving to Scotland. Well, there you go. Get ready, Scotland. Uh, all right, Des, you had a, a quick follow-up here on uh, on Puerto Rico and FEMA? Yes, the uh, FEMA statistics about how many Puerto Ricans have gotten water and electricity by now, those have, for some reason, been removed from the FEMA website, according to the Washington Post, <laughs> oh, and no explanation why. However, statistics that make the Trump administration look good, like how many roads have been cleared or hospitals have been opened, those statistics are still there. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, our uh, our federal government uh, website now uh, officially the propaganda bureau period kind of. period all right one other quick note before we get out here uh, last week you will recall uh, the chairman of Donald Trump's Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon, General Joseph Dunford, as well as his own Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, both said that uh, Iran was honoring the nuclear agreement struck between uh, Iran, the U.S., Russia, China, Germany, France, and the U.K. back in, I think, 2015, um, that Iran was complying with that agreement. This week now, Defense Secretary uh, Donald Trump's own Defense Secretary, General James Mattis, also agrees that Iran is in compliance with that agreement, and yet we get the news late today that Donald Trump reportedly says he is not going to certify that Iran is in compliance and uh, I guess leave it up to uh, Congress to decide whether or not to uh, to continue on with that treaty that took years to strike uh, between those uh, seven different countries and um, which is going to lead to uh, Iran, uh, you know, bulking up its own uh, weapons program in response. If they get out, yes. Because we don't have enough trouble in this country, around the world, with North Korea. We now need to pick a new war with Iran. I suspect we'll talk about that in the days ahead, no doubt. All right. Uh, until then, my thanks today to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest, Brendan Fisher of Campaign Legal Center, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. You can uh, reach me at, uh, via email at bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, 
I am simply the Brad Blog. My thanks as ever to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to support us, uh, at least until ExxonMobil does. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.